from the trenches. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to From the Trenches, real life in the accounting industry. I'm David Boyer from SQL CFO, joined here with my old mate Paul Meisner from Freedom Mentoring, and we are brought to you by BGL, Australia's number one corporate compliance and superannuation software. Paul, it's been a short week, but with an election on, no such thing as a quiet week. True. Thank you, David. Hello, listeners. Hello, all short week. But uh, as you said, lots on a backup of content. We, of course, had uh, e- we've had it was school holidays, David, Easter, short week with Anzac Day. You had Passover. Uh, I have not known, I swear, for the last two weeks whether what day of the week it is. I didn't know when round five of the AFL premiership season ended and round six started. It was kind of just... Football was everywhere and election promises. Are we talking about where you're, which end of the ladder your team's on, David, or are we not? No. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a, losing to Carlton's been a humbling experience. Yeah, you know you're at the you know you're at the bottom end when uh, when Sam Rotberg tried to troll me on Twitter for it as well. Sam's the last thing I needed. Go listen to some mental health episodes. I tell you, when a Carlton supporter giving you giving it's you not, a clip. it's not a good day. No, that's all uh, all they got. They have left. David, uh, in the topic today, we're going to have a crack at. We're going to try to fix conferences. There, I just think there's too many of them. We're going to fix them, aren't we? We're going to fix them. Hopefully. All right, we've got some. Uh, there's certainly a lot on. Uh, I had a. I had a. I questioned some of the female representation and uh, wasn't taken too well by the male. Uh, the male members of the panel. We have differing views on that, but we are, that was not the only uh, thing I, we think that is wrong with conferences. So we will get to it. But that is uh, that is after best and worst on ground. David, what do you got for us uh, in your best this week? Um, couple of things in best for me, Paul. Um, first of all, I'm continually impressed with the ATO comms team who are very active on social media and working their little butts off, Paul, to help spread the good word about single-touch payroll. Now, you had a go at me in last week's episode when I said a whopping two, three, what was it? three-quarters of accountants say that their clients aren't ready for single-touch payroll. Uh, John Shepard tweeted out that he was doing a webcast about STP and Maurice McKinnon, Horizon Accounts, on Twitter said, I'd just like to receive an email about a week or so before the webinar not have to find out accidentally on my Twitter feed the night before. I appreciate STP as your life and responsibility, John, but some have other things planned. John Shepard responds back talking about ways that they promote their events through the Tax Professionals Newsletter, um, ATO social media. Here's the problem, Paul. So first of all, best on ground is ATO and literally the commissioner responding. John's very accessible. The problem with this is that our attention for new information has become so spread because our inboxes are so full that we miss out on important things. And I really relate to the sentiment that Maurice uh, is sharing. I I don't know whether I've ever asked for more emails, David, though. No, but the answer isn't necessarily more emails. The answer is that we've basically got too many emails that we can't work out. We don't 
pay attention to the really important ones. And like I get, you get those ATO ones. Like I tune out from a lot of them, to be honest. Like, but then I can't. It's, but then I also get frustrated when I miss something that I would have been interested in. Then I also have a habit of signing up to webinars and not actually attending them. A lot of people are like that. I think it's about fifty percent. Get, get the recording, isn't it? Get all the about the recording. Anyway, never watch the recording online. Like, nah, I reckon. I think it goes to spam the recording. Probably, emails, yeah, yeah. But um, but it is. It's a challenge for modern marketing teams that have to spread an important message sometimes, particularly if you're the government, that you struggle to stand out from the crowd. I think I think this is good because it shows the different... Uh, I think it's a good news story that it was on the Twitter feed and not just buried in an email. Uh, you know, it's on LinkedIn, it's on Twitter. I think that it is uh, a lot more channels now, which is great. Uh, what else you got? Um, Ripper article from my mate Chris Argent of Generation CFO. Generation CFO, a whoppingly huge uh, LinkedIn group of forward-thinking CFOs. Uh, and Chris has had a lot of debates with my CTO, Lance Rubin, about the future of automation and technology, and, and he and I have spoken on a couple of different webinars together. Uh, automation redundancy is fake news. Here's why. The best part, part one. So we're going to get a whole series of these, Paul. Nice. Uh, Chris is basically saying that there's three big assumptions that marketers get wrong about accountants. Now, Paul, just, just so three. can frame Only this. three. He's generally talking to accountants out in commerce, but yep. I'll tell you what, the sentiment... It applies, doesn't it? It's just so relatable to good. public practice. He says, accountants, the marketers say, accounts and finance are missing out on new technology benefits. They are all doing something wrong or badly. What we're doing is going to be automated redundancy is imminent. That's the sentiment in the marketplace. That's not his sentiment. No, yep, he's that's... saying that's what the marketers are telling that's us. That's what we're being sold. And then they say, but buy our products and all of this will Avoid magically Avoid extinction, according yeah. to some people, David. We'll get to that, I think, in next week's episode. Yep. We've just reached out for comment from somebody who's accused us of potentially going extinct. Um, who's to blame? Well, it's all these big reports, OECD reports, saying that accounts are at high risk of automation. We've seen it all before. He details the marketer's approach and basically just calls it out. Why let detail get in the way of a good headline? It's so good to see somebody else seeing from our Hymnbook Ball. He goes through all the stats that talks about account growth. And Bernard Salt came up on ZeroCon last year, and nobody's going to go toe to toe with Bernard Salt, Australia's most prominent demographer on economic stats and employment stats, and basically said we're doing well um, in terms of job growth in our sector. Like, this just plainly is there is so much inefficiency in everything that we do that we have to automate just to get back to being. For, for public practices not having write-offs, for people in commerce for not working 60, 80 hours a week. Like, frankly, if we could just get everyone back to a 40-hour week and get paid for what you do, the world would be a better place and no one would be extinct. But, uh, there's, here's the bit that I really love here. Um, he says, we will decide when to make ourselves redundant, not the robots. And this is true. We decide how much automation we want in our businesses. We decide how much automation we're going to put into our clients. Therefore, we can do it if we plan it out in a way that we're ready to survive it and thrive through the change. And, and this is, I mean, this is my whole uh, Dolly the Sheep argument. Just because the technology exists doesn't mean that it's being applied. You know, some of these systems, David, we've spoken about it in previous episodes, just don't work. You know, some of these tech solutions, to, to get automation, it takes a lot of manual setup. It takes a lot of manual double checking. It takes a lot of manual sense checking. And when it goes wrong, what do we do? We generally put it back into Excel and, and do it manually. I've got a, f- a phenomenal um, story that I heard on an HBR Ideacast, Harvard Business Review podcast. I listen to podcasts very rarely, Paul, because I don't want it to influence the style that you and I have curated for each other over the last 
two years or so of doing shows together. Um, but uh, basically they found that, well, you know, I'm going to do it in depth on it actually. We're going to hold off on it. Sorry, listeners. All right. That's a teaser. There you go. All I'm, right. I'm, we're going to go through a detailed example of why machines will help you do your job better rather than make you redundant. Proof. Scientific I've proof. I've already got it for compliance. I've got the spreadsheet. Anyway, all right. Ooh. Good, good. All right. They're my best. Thanks, Chris, for uh, posting that ripper piece and sharing the good word on how strong accounting futures and, are. Uh, I, by the way, just while you were speaking, because this was funny, I, uh, I Googled Chris Argent. And apparently he was a character in Teen Wolf. There you go. You're kidding. The, t- the TV series played know. played by J.R. Bourne. There you I, go. I know someone who was in Teen Wolf. Well, no, it wasn't clearly wasn't him. But when you Google him, normally this person comes up. Right. Anyway, it was the same name as a character in Teen Wolf. Not sure that adds to his credibility as a future predictor of trends in accounting and finance, but oh. good nonetheless. Just funny. Uh, right. Uh, you, got, you got some sad news, don't you, in your best? Oh, I do. But I'll start, with, I'll start with the bigger best and then we'll, we'll head on to that. Uh, is So David David Leary, uh, Cloud what is it? Cloud Accounting Podcast. Him and Blake have a, uh, a wonderful podcast over there in the US. A good show. I've listened to it a few times. He uh, he called out. Uh, David, on, this came from a Twitter, th- Twitter feed. Ryan Lazanus was uh, talking... Somewhat romantically, we'll probably talk about that later in the show. We will. About the future of tech and how all these people, when they start these tech startups, they raise money. Blah, blah. It's all, it's all um, hype. It's all driven by hype. We often Bloody forget. Fest. We often forget what happens at the back end. David Leary has taken the time to do a very uh, detailed review of Visor, who was a. Uh, a new tech startup promising to offer fixed fee pricing to do a tax return and offering 24-7 access to a CPA. Anytime you read that, David, it just, it like, it, and, and I think we, we we call a lot of this out. We've, we've done it uh, with Botkeeper, as has David Leary uh, and Blake, that this hype just doesn't stack up. Like, and, and a lot of these times we, we honestly don't know whether they're a tech solution or a service solution. If you're a service solution, scaling's hard. And, and why you would raise money. But if you're a tech solution, like a lot of these tech solutions actually don't have a lot of tech or they fall down when they're trying to offer this human uh, this human interaction at scale. Anyway, some detailed uh, Twitter screens. Basically, they, put, they, they raised a lot of money, did a lot of marketing, promised to do very cheap tax returns but have the ability for a CPA to answer questions in theory 24-7. Uh, David had found an absolute uh, wave of, yeah, wow. uh, of, of clients who were who were affected, couldn't get answers. Uh, they you had to use a chat system in the thing. There wasn't an email address. There wasn't a phone number. There was no contact details. Basically, it was just shocking, shocking service. Uh, reached out to the CEO, uh, you know, with, with largely no comment. And it just look, it's a great article. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. It's a great article just that holds them accountable to say this is what happened at the back end. Because often, David, we speak all this all the time on the show about how we romanticise people who have raised money. We never go back and say, what did you spend it on it and did it work? The, the great post by David Leary that he's pulled out these tweets uh, from Visor, the, the idea of forcing people to communicate with you through a chat app I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I mean, we know... It's failed in accounting in Australia. Yeah, but it's working really well in banking, though. So it's not... It's failed in Australia from a service level point of view. I'm just talking about the the idea of having to use an app as a primary form of communication. There's 
good sample size, particularly with a millennial customer base, yeah. where that's working. But, but you don't have options with but, banks. But, so. but, 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 here's the key. Well, not, not the neo banks, you don't. You're right, true. So, so the, and they're doing really, really well. Um, but here's the key what the neo banks are doing they're responding promptly. All of these complaints here are because there's been a lack of response. And David's Leary, David Leary's response is so bang on. Well, Visa's just another accounting firm. This is no different to a firm not responding to an email or a phone call. Move on. And that's right. And that's where the tech is actually literally irrelevant, where professional services industry, the focus is on service. And we've seen this a lot, Dave. I mean, there was a startup that I reference a lot without saying their name uh, that I think it was about seven years ago they started, not long after I did. Uh, 100% of their client contact had to be through Zendesk. Right. They, you couldn't email, you, the staff didn't have phone numbers. I believe that's changed now. It has. But they went that, and they made and, no money. And you know what? When I when that came out, because I started my firm, SQL started four or five years ago. Not five, We haven't had five years yet. Because um, And I read that and I was like, okay, that sounds amazing. What an efficient way to keep track of client queries. And I thought there's just no way... Your average business owner is going to log into a port and get a please respond above the line email. Yeah. I, I tune out when our IT guys send us those things. And, and for, for all of the times, like it's all of this about an accountant becoming a trusted advisor. It's like they want your mobile number, they call you, and they largely want to speak to the director. There was also another uh, quite high, prof- high profile New Zealand firm, David, that came to Australia amongst a lot of hype. Uh, and ultimately put their tail between their legs and nicked off back across the ditch. Right, that was Rightway Group. Oh, who, thanks. Uh, I was going to do. Oh, it was public information. Yeah, it was, there was lots was. of lots of article about about why it didn't work. But well done, David. There you go. You've made uh, best on ground. Congratulations. We're going to do more on this show and worst on ground on some of these tech. Well, companies. not about David. About not about, about David. tech. Yes, tech comes in. And, tech and, firm. Look, tech. Uh, and my other best on ground is sad news, but it's. So the H and R Block co-founder Henry Block, Mr. spelled block. differently to the Block. B-L-O-C-H rather than B-L-O-C-K, dies at the age of 96. Now, just best on ground in terms of it is a chance just to reflect on uh, Henry and Richard, the he, we co-founded with his brother, just what an absolute, uh, I guess, behemoth of a company, Global, uh, started. That name has been synonymous with tax for as long as I've been, as long as I've been doing it. Um, he started uh, H&R Block in 1955 and it has just become amazing. Their training, I saw some of their training manuals, whoa, geez, 12, uh, 15, 14, 15 years ago. Uh, just amazing. Like what, what they have done, what they have achieved with uh, Henry co-founding it is amazing. Uh, and, and a role model for the franchising sector. You know, yeah, yeah, they yeah. They are such an impressive You know, franchising business. needs more role models because they're not doing well at the moment. Or they need one. <laughs> if we could just get... One high-profile one. Drink. Just, any, just anyone doing it correctly. Well, they just need one Hell, just big, take a case study at the moment. Just one just big success story. Someone who's not story. screwing their staff. Just not hard. Just, just one great success story. The way they do field support, their approach to training. Their Hell, impro- we'll take someone the, who's complying. Right, the way, <laughs> we'll lower the bar that low. It's but, just someone who's doing but, okay. But the way, the way they have responded to technology disruption in the sector that they're in and rolled it out, um, they're a fantastic business. Amazing. And yeah, regularly right I say to my friends who say, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm paying a good price for my account and they've got really basic stuff. So, mate, just go to H&R Block. Correct. Just don't muck around. Absolutely. Right, let's move on to Worst on Ground. David, what do you have? Right, oh, Worst on Ground for me. Right, now, 
a fair, an article got put up on Twitter. I think Lalette put it up on Twitter. Uh, so I, I don't, somebody put it up on Twitter. Um, Ryan Lazanas has posted an article, Will Accounting Tech Startups Overtake Your Firm? It's a good little market update of just how much money is going to these visor-type businesses from venture capital firms. Pilot just raised $40 million for online tax and bookkeeping. Bench raised $8 million in January last year. Visor had raised $9 million in November last year. And BotKeeper, which we featured on this show, raised $18 million in November last year for online bookkeeping services. Yeah. Uh, nice little market update there. Ryan basically then says, you're not going to compete with these people on price because they include software in their monthly fee. Do you agree with that? <laughs> it's categorically <laughs> frighteningly wrong. Uh, and Ryan's got a lot of pats on the back for this article because he basically says, well, you know, you can compete on personalised service. But the cost factor is categorically wrong. Um, when BotKeeper came out, I was very, very interested. I got on the phone with uh, Jack Stone, who's the head of uh, sales and development. I chatted very briefly about, to Jody Padar about it on LinkedIn. Jody's very involved and a huge voice in CPA in the US. And I was impressed. I thought, well, if this works, then I'll do it. And we'll run a few clients through it and see if it works. But here's the problem, Paul. The numbers in Australia simply do not add up. It is expensive. The BotKeeper one is, yeah. Specifically talking about BotKeeper. And this is where there's hype around these things. We've just spoken about Visor and the hype around the service. There's also hype around the cost of these things. So BotKeeper for bookkeeping, their biggest package is $899 US. Let's just say, let's use a 1.2 exchange rate, rough average. Whatever. It's 1,078 Aussie dollars, and Botkeeper says that's for around 30 hours of work. Paul, that is $36 an hour. You can employ an Australian on a $69,000 salary, get an onshore person full-time for your business for, exa- for, for the, the cost equivalent of, of that. Now, if you're a firm, now Botkeeper's strategy is to basically white-label to firms. It fundamentally doesn't work in Australia. It's a broken model. And here's why. Nick Sinclair at the Outsourced Accountant, who you and I started a a Twitter message with about this, he said, what do you think about this stuff? And and we shared our thoughts. You can get a bookkeeper for Nick for $1,700 a month. That works out at $10.62 an hour. Ryan's article says that you can't compete on price. Well, $10.62 versus $36, not only can you can compete, you can be cheaper, you can offer better service, you can offer industry specialisation, you can offer local area... You will always win on local area marketing than, you will, than these companies. You're on the board of your school, of your scout group, you're advertising in the local paper, you're at the, the kids' footy shaking hands, handing out... Like, that's how business gets done in real-life small business. Um, so you will smash these people on price. If you use... You can go to QuickBooks Connect, which is on NMA. I'm talking, Paul. I'm giving a keynote. And I got a bit of a got a bit of a deal for listeners. We've got a forty percent discount code for our listeners. Oh, there you go. There we go. But you're going as well. VIP. You're back I'm in. You're, back. In, you're in the back in back in back. love with the green. I'm back. Uh, the so if you just go and if you just implement like off the shelf automation technology, not even like the sexiest newest stuff, then you go get somebody from Nick, the outsourced accountant. You will be cheaper than Botkeeper. Yeah, absolutely. So. This sentiment around these businesses is just fundamentally wrong. Now, Botkeeper's response to me when I when I said to Jack, this is just expensive, mate, it's just not going to work. He says, oh, we're going to get cheaper because the machine learning gets better and better and it's... Uh, 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 
Don't believe it. Yeah. I don't, not, only do, don't not only do I not believe it, but if I was a bot keeper, I would keep that margin to myself and I would not pass it on to my customer. Absolutely. I, certainly in terms of in, in terms of those two things that are in the article, um, you know, I mean, I think, and I've reached out to Ryan, and Ryan will come on the show. Uh, we've just got to find a time. I think it romanticised a bit. There were some lines in there that did sort of say, look, we're not sure whether any of this will eventuate. But let's talk about the actual people in it. You've talked about Botkeeper. Basically, it's just nobody ever... Oh, it it uh, masqueraded as tech, well, but it was actually just outsourced labour, which was expensive, as you've pointed out. I want to talk about Pilot, because Pilot, these people who have never otherwise done anything in the accounting space... Uh, they've raised forty million. Now they've had success before. Don't get me wrong. They built a chat app. They've 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 done a, they've uh, built and sold uh, other startups. And all of a sudden they had trouble with doing their internal bookkeeping, and they thought they'd, they'd build something. Now what, they've raised forty million. You and I, David, we often talk about the fact of whether or not raising actually ma- matters. What I can't work out is: is this a tech play or is this a services play? This is the same argument about Botkeeper. If it's a tech play. Are they just building what Receipt Bank and HubDoc already have and and therefore it's just money to catch up what's already available in the market given that there's no, realistically, there's not a lot of new tech there because we've already got it? Or if it's a services play, anybody who's trying to raise money on a service business model where you should be profitable from arguably from day one, especially to the tune of $40 It's just absurd. Well, it's, they're going after the rapid growth VC model. But Heather Smith made a great comment to me once who's who just knows all the players in the Australian tech uh, accounting tech landscape. She said it's a, it, it's she's baffled by how many new companies and new entrants she talks to that are completely clueless as to who their competition are. I'd say a lot of them don't know who <laughs> what the size of most small businesses is. We'll talk about well, that later. Or the problem that they're solving, but anyway. Exactly. Look, anyway, that was interesting. I mean, I, no, I certainly had that in my worst, the, the whole pilot uh, raising money because I just cannot see it. Uh, what else you got? Uh, Quickly, David. Quick one. On, uh, uh, we love weird deductions, weird excuses for not lodging and complying. A tax agent has been booted by the Tax Practitioners Board for claiming the family pet is a guard dog, Paul. I've heard that. That's common. I've, I, I That's not, common. Not for my clients, but I've heard people try that. Uh, there was someone in the accounting industry, David, that got their uh, – called their uh, – oh, massive Great Dane dog, a uh, working dog, so that he could go on the ferry yeah. to work with him. Lovely. He also tried funny. to claim a $383 pair of RM Williams rubber-soled shoes – to protect against continual shocks from static electricity. That actually shows. That actually shows ingenuity. I actually, as part, I would never claim it myself if the ATO were listening. But when working with computers, well, you get, it's dangerous. How many oh, electric right, shocks mate. are you likely I'm to have? I'm wearing my rubber-soled uh, Timberlands today, Paul. They weren't cheap. Maybe I'll chuck them on. Anyway, protective equipment, David. I think look that that clearly is a little bit closer to the uh, Section Eight One Nexus than a guard dog, than the family pet being a guard dog. Uh, one final quick one. Um, uh, Kay Carnell, Australian small business family ombudsman, been on the show, has launched a scathing attack and said that the ATO's collection of overdue debts is excessive and that it's sending businesses to the wall. Now, I ha- I don't know about this, Paul. I, she, she's specifically talking about, she said... At least 12% of cases where disputes were before the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. If you're in front of the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, how bad has it gotten, Paul? Pretty bad? Yeah. So 12% of the worst cases have garnishee notices issued. Um, 
Look, I get it and it's frustrating when garnishing notices come because you don't know that they're coming and you can have a call with them one day and think that you're negotiating and then the next the thing system, you know... The other end of the, the system spits but, it out. But yeah. just how do you get that bad? How do you let it... And, and really, some businesses need to fail, Paul. And the ATO, and I've, I've made this argument before, they're so loose with their credit issuing terms, they end up being a bit loose on their collection terms. And, until they're not. Like, and then I think that's that's the thing. It, it's... It's a really hard job, David. About you know, I think it was about three to five years ago. They there was whether there was a directive, we don't know. Uh, it's a back end of the GSC FC. Just to, just go easy, start to remit some interest, and I think people got lazy. And then trying to pull them, trying to pull businesses back in line because largely I think uh, the ATO are far too generous with their lending criteria. I.e., that there's no application and whatever. I think they need to do more to chase it rather than less, uh, I, I think it, it, this is a bit ATO bashing. We love it in an election cycle. Apparently we're bashing accountants, we're bashing the ATO. I think the ATO do a wonderful job. And every every client I've had, and I've had some bad ones, David, I've had garnishes. I've had garnishes that we've dealt with in a great uh, and very positive way to help get the job done. I find the ATO very... Uh, uh, yeah, very easy to deal with. What about you? West on ground, Paul Meister. West on ground for me. Where am I going? Oh, anyone, David, who wants to be a federal treasurer, the one thing they should know is tax. Specifically, Chris Bowen, the person who, during our election campaign, is uh, doing a job interview, the longest job interview in an election campaign, for the job of treasurer, tried to equate a... Uh, a nurse who was working away with a retiree. Now, very general use of the word retiree here and basically trying to equate someone who earned 67 grand as a nurse, 67 grand as a retiree and tried to argue that they would get a franking credit rebate. Anyway, without going into the tax details, and Robin Jacobson uh, from... Uh, can't remember where she's from. Uh, Robin Jacobson. Uh, Ka- do, we, do we have an interview with Robin? Yes, I have coming up, I think. We're going to drop it this week. We'll drop it somewhere. No, we will. We'll cool. release it this week. She uh, had some detailed analysis on, on what to do. Basically, he just played fast and loose with the calculations. He tried to argue that sort of, uh, A, he got the franking credits and tax calculation wrong. He then tried to backtrack and say, well, it was a certain tax structure that's used by certain taxpayers. Certainly when he said it, he tried to link every retiree with um, with every with with a nurse. It was just it just showed it showed and I don't believe it's a lack of knowledge. I believe it's a lack of credibility to despite knowing and he's got a team. Like seriously, these guys they they know they know that the answer's not necessarily wrong or they know they're trying to justify. That that's to me is worse. To me it's worse that these people are far too smart to think you know, to get the figures wrong. It's that they think they can get away with it and you know deliberately be a bit ambiguous with the treatment to make to, to make a political point. It's just it's disappointing from the future treasurer. I've been very vocal in the public environment about accountants needing to speak up and enter the public debate. Paul, my TED talk begs accountants to get involved in public debate. They need to, David. It's, and, and because I, we can hold them accountable getting, to this. We're getting rolled up. I, uh, I certainly <laughs> straight in. Uh, we had Bill, with the Bill Shorten. And it's, it's great comment. to see everyone getting involved in the Bill Shorten raw comment um, and, t- and and taking that to the community and holding them accountable. 
It absolutely is. Uh, right, that did me for worse. Let's get on to in-depth. What's wrong with... David, what is wrong with conferences? Well, a lot. Now, there's a lot right about conferences, and you can go back to all the... Like, we've done so many conference shows. You can go get all the stuff that's right there, but here's three things that are wrong with conferences, and we're going to come up with some solutions on how to fix them, Paul, right? Number one, there just aren't enough female speakers. And honestly, how anyone in marketing or any any conference speaker thinks it's okay to post a tweet of six men on a conference circuit and think that they're not going to cop it. Which was one of two panels, though. So there was there was two panels that this person promoted and got their back up when it was called out. What was there it? Was what, two, what was it? What was there the was two six-person at Countex, two six-person panels where both panels was 100% men. The, now, se- the second problem, yeah. we're all being sold to. Now, that's okay in part, but my contention is when I'm at your stall, sell, sell, sell. But if what you're pitching to me is free CPD, you shouldn't be selling to me. I'm there to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the second thing is that, and Paul, you're big on this, smaller firms just aren't represented. So let's break them up. Female speakers. It came up this week, Paul, because somebody's running a, a panel at Accountech, two, two separate panels. panels, six people on each panel. First of all, that's not going to be good content. Six people on a panel is so hard. Yeah, yeah, like, ooh, that is just, it's just no. not good. And we did the budget panel at zero, and like we had to, we almost rehearsed to make yeah. sure we do it well. Um, but of the two, two by six, 12 people, all man, Paul, what happened? So, so can I just clarify something here? Because I had a, got a personal message from one of the people on that panel. Uh, saying that the dream of 50% equality was irrational and there was a whole lot of extenuating circumstances. Listen, I am not, I am not, and nobody in their right mind is saying that you should hit 50%. Well, I categorically think that you shouldn't, but anyway. Out of 12, to not find one, not one, naught out of 12, yeah. if it, as, and, and this is not the panel members. Let's not bash the panel members. They they were asked to sit on a panel. Uh, most of them, if not all of them, sell to accountants and need that exposure. That is fine. Apparently the panels were organised by a female. That is the defence of, of some people uh, around. And one had a female boss who sent the, uh, a male staff member to, to sell their product. Wait, t- just simply let's not, let's not over... Complicated here. It's that out of twelve, they couldn't find one. That is that is purely my Pretty main point. I'm not saying six. You need to find six women. The fact you couldn't find one was disappointing. So here, here are some solutions. I, 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 I flippantly said I don't believe that fifty percent should be the target because it shouldn't. The target should be a mix that produces the right answer and the right content. And a bit of and naught is not a mix. No, naught is not a mix. There's not the right answer. So here's some. I've been involved in organising conferences. I've, I'm, I'm very close with uh, Laura Venables from National Media Organiser, Accounting Business Expo and Accountech Live in Melbourne. Spent time with Laura Binns who organised uh, the Singapore Accounting and Finance Show uh, and part of Terrapin, one of the biggest event organisers in the world. And spent time with Brad Eisenhuth who organised the Global Virtual World Finance Summit, which I spoke on with Chris Argent. Here are some things that I saw and heard and... It makes sense. I've also spoken with some of the women involved in Accountech Global about this. Here's a very difficult truth to, to, to accept. When women get asked to talk, less say yes to men. Now, a stat that's been bandied around, now there's, there's no research, this is pure anecdotal. For every eight women that you ask, two say yes. For every eight men that you ask, six say yes. 
And, so, and that was given to you by a female member of the industry? Given, given like to, to clear a female that... member and validated roughly by another person as well who I checked it with. Yep. So that's... You can say, well, is that all women's fault? Well, not necessarily. There, I think there's an underlying problem with this. The first is that if you want to talk, usually it involves travel. Our very reality in family life is very often women are the primary carers in households. Travelling is hard. If you are come from a small firm, it is harder to find that time. Now, I'm just trying to be very realistic about this, Paul. A solution, speakers need to be paid. You need to make it worth the while for anyone to get up on stage and speak. Now, yes, they'll be they'll be selling themselves. I think that's true. That's, that's true if you want them to travel. If it's local, if it's local, no, I disagree. No, I don't no. because because you're trying to you're, you're you're trying to disrupt what they do to get their content on stage. And yes, there's, there's not a enough. Of there's not yourself. enough money. But hang on, if you you've got if you. Going to pay female speakers, you've got to pay every speaker. Yeah, yeah, sorry, everyone needs to be paid. Yeah, yeah but yeah. that's not that's clearly not going to happen because we're in a sales expo. And we, oh, we've, no, I disagree that's not going to happen. I, I, it's I think not, the business we've model... Got, we've got conference organisers admitting that they are taking away non-sales content to just back it into all of the content is now sales. Or no, most of not. So I, I said to one of the organisers when, when I wanted to be paid for a talk and they said, we don't have a budget, I said, well... Quite frankly, that's kind of not good enough. Like we spend, speakers spend a lot of time honing their content. The best speakers, um, John Yo, who's the, the TEDx licensee for Melbourne, said the best speakers practice 26 hours per minute of content on stage. If you add up all the time we do on trenches, which we lose a fortune on, this yeah. is not a money-making thing, the amount of time we spend, you know what, you and I wouldn't be too far off that. Yeah. So... Uh, that makes sense. I think that payment helps because it's it becomes worthwhile, it's incentivised uh, and it makes sense. The next thing is, and this has come from, from uh, a female event organiser, women lean on women to talk for free. You are going to be a role model for future speakers. You are going to stand out. Like, come on. Everyone should be getting paid here. You know, we, you're worthwhile. You, you're good at what you do. You should be getting paid, I think, for, for what you do. Um, the other thing is Accountech Global is potentially a solution to this. Accountech Global and Kylie Parker and Kelly Shard and Alec Collegia are trying to create a pathway for women to get themselves out there. Because you know what? Speaking gigs are hard to get, Paul. They, they really are. You've got to be a proven speaker. You've got to be known. Brands need to trust you. You have to have a personal brand and produce enough content that people know when they put you on stage, you're not going to make a goose of them and their brand, whoever you're organising. And, and your comment about speakers' slots being sold effectively to companies, well, that's fine, but then the company should pay the speaker. Like, yeah, no, 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 I get that. I get, and that is a point. And, and some of this is not – and let's, this is not – all to do with the conference organisers or the content because what they do is they effectively sublease that stage or that slot yeah, to the company that's right. and it's who the company truck out. And unfortunately, the company truck out either their old favourites or the people who are paying them or people that are doing deals with them or people that have no idea on the industry as is happening in one panel in accounting. Just ridiculous. But um, interesting, David, just very quickly on the, on the women thing, I and I just... Thought something, and I put out a, qu- a quick tweet that. Thanks for listening. The last, I oh know, while I, while I was doing the show, I'm just paying attention. Listeners, multitasking for all the men men out there uh, who, who can't do it, namely me. Um, the last three panels that I've organised were 100% female panel members, and I and I moderated. Great. So the last three panels, and and, and again, we hear about this, and the, I'm not I'm not disputing David that that the that women are hard to say yes. 
I have not experienced that. I've had three Paul, panels. I was I was involved in um, organising an event where we delayed our marketing because we, everyone was working so hard to try to find more female speakers. And eventually we just said, well, the, to the organisers, look, you're just going to have to cop it. You're going to get some flack for it, but yeah. there's nothing else you can do. And, and, it and really it's hard. funny that I yeah, haven't, it's funny that I haven't said I, that. I'm not saying I, I, I not can happening. almost predict I, we will get response to this show where people are saying, no, nah, nonsense, I'm happy to talk, I'm happy to talk. Okay, maybe you are. I'm just sharing insights that I've been given from people who organise conferences and are, and are involved in, in public uh, speaking. Interestingly, I did, have a in convers- our industry. I did have a conversation with a couple of female uh, people in the industry who expressed disappointment about the level of speakers at a, at a certain conference and had admitted that they were approached to speak at that conference but couldn't. No. So it was sort of... It, it, but it is... It, it, and that proves... Yeah. And that, and that argues Here's that. Here's the other thing is, it is not okay when, when these panels go out, everyone needs to be... We're trying to be constructive about this and try to come up with some solutions. If you see a tweet or you see something on social media, don't just... And, you're, and don't just say, oh, where are the women speakers? This isn't good enough. Don't... Like, it just doesn't help. And it certainly doesn't help to have a go at the men who are speaking on a panel. Because those men, invariably, there's nothing wrong with them. They've earned their spot and they're probably really excited and prepared and they're probably a bit nervous about it. And this has happened to me and you. We, somebody had a go at us for talking on a panel um, that, that they felt wasn't adequately represented by women. It just doesn't help the conversation. Here's why. The more you berate men who are talking on a panel, the more resentment's going to build and the less likely collaboration is going to occur. It's just simple. It's just you're one, we're one big community. We should be working together to find opportunities for each other. Not everything is bashing. This is the thing. Not everything. So uh, it, I, I can guarantee you, I, I, so the, I was definitely felt that I was bashed. Tweets I sent out, and there were subsequent comments which did go beyond beyond it. My point was simply that to not be able to find one woman, it's it, it's no one's fault. To not be able to find one out of twelve was there, there were other people that was like that. It did. I agree. It went further, and I agree that it's not. I said earlier, David, it's not the people that otherwise turn up. Right. How do we solve being sold to, David? Because it just seems like we're in that we've 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 lost the uh, we've lost the conferences that are there. The professional bodies have packed up their bags, they've left, they've Conference gone town, the, 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 the wagons uh, are out, they've given up, the I white think... flag has been ra- has been oh, waved. First of all, I think that um, CA Catalyst Chartered Accounts Catalyst, I think, will be uh, hopefully making a small change to that and offering a vendor agnostic, potentially. I'm not saying it's happening, Paul. I may have heard a little sniff of something that they're working on down in the future. But so here's, 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 here's well, I hope that they don't. Here's what I think could be done on being sold to. If you're selling me free CPD, anything on stage cannot have a sales pitch at all. It has to be education. It just has to. Once I'm at your stall, though, sell to me. Like, make your profit. Get your leads. Do what you need to do. I'm completely fine with that. These things, and Cannabis Expo is an expo. You go to inquire and talk to, and that's one of the best bits is that all the vendors are there. So I don't have a problem with that bit. If a speaker sells, they should be penalised. They should either not yeah, be, they should not be invited back next year. They should have to pay more next year. Potentially, they even get fined because it impacts the overall experience for everyone. So, and I know Sholto worked his I, I, got, I had a few tips with Sholto over the years. I know how hard he works to try to make sure that speakers at Accounting Business Expo and Accounting Live don't sell, and it still happens. It's the speaker's fault. I don't, I, I, I don't know how you can say that, David, because sessions were moved from 
panels and non-aligned topics that were important, more importantly to, and we'll talk about the third point about the representation of smaller business and smaller firms, sessions that were otherwise promised that would have been of extreme value and weren't already covered in the other 79 advisory-led sessions were (laughs) taken out and given to paid sponsors to largely, and again, largely do with it what they want. They were guided, they were told. But you're right, there was no there was no sting in the tail. There was no self. Also, where's the, the, where's the um, uh, declaration of, of um, conflict of interest? Like we have to do it in in boards and stuff. Some of these ones, some of these ones skirt very close to not not being honest about what some of the speakers are yeah. getting are getting out of it. I, I think oh, there's really? a whole any uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Any well, no, any no, but I just that? but I just think we've 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 got an episode coming up. We're working on about are we just not critical? Like, well, can, we only, can we only be critical on? But I'll, I'll on give you a tale of two, two, two theatres. I know that the, receipt, the people who spoke in the Receipt Bank Theatre and Accounting Business Expo, uh, Damien Grader, who's head of Receipt Bank's Global Marketing, was at pains to make sure people were just having conversations on their round tables and not selling anything. I don't know. Oh, the round tables, yeah. I don't know if that's what happened. No, and, and their talks as well. Right. I don't know if that's what happened in the Futurely Theatre. Futurely Theatre is very. It always ends with you have to do advisory. From let's, the from the not, handful of sessions that I saw. Let's not start with. Let's not start on future. Anyway, right, last one because I know we're, we're, we're massive episode. How long? I don't even know how long we've gone. Forty-one minutes. Oh, Paul. there you go. All right. Well, let's get moving. Representation of smaller firms, David. I, I bang on about this, and this is one of the real. This is one of the real disappointments I think about the industry. Ninety-five percent of all businesses are have less than two million dollar turnover. I think that, and I call them micro-businesses, whether people like the word micro or not, I think that um, we often talk about the 6 or 7%, actually, I think I'll be right, can it? We often talk about the the 3 or 4% of businesses that are between 2 mil and 10 mil in terms of they're the ones that need the bigger software, they're the ones that will actually pay for advisory, they're the ones that need rolling cash flows and virtual CFOs and all of this sort of stuff. I think far too much time at conferences is spoken about 3% of the businesses out there being the turnover between 2 and 10. There's some micro-businesses, David, that are growing, you know, fast growth that need it. There are certainly some north of 2 million that don't need it or want it or get it elsewhere. Um, certainly, I don't think the industry is cognizant of the makeup of the industry. The fact that 90% of small businesses turn over less than 2 million and their needs are massively different, I feel, from dealing with them every, uh, you know, every day and have done for 20 years. The, the, the problem with small business is that they're, they're so broad that it's actually, very, even though the numbers are so big, it's very hard to segment them into something that's relevant to all of them. On the firm front, and, and I've been thinking about this about speakers when you brought it up, for, for people in small firms to find the time to curate a talk to come up with something genuinely new and innovative is so, so hard, mate. Like, it is hard. If you're the main, if you've got one, two employees and you're the only partner, you're a small firm, geez, it's hard. Like, it's hard. I don't know. It's just hard. And, and I agree that can, the representation we, isn't there. Can we also... I just don't know we, how they... I don't have a solution for that piece. Can we split this into two? So, so what I'm saying is the representation of smaller firms and slash smaller businesses in terms of content and speakers... I'm with you. Like, it, I think in the same way that it is harder for 
women to accept speaking spots because of the effort to find content, write content, pr- prepare, yeah. um, and practice a presentation. As a sole as a sole practitioner, um, I struggled to do it for this show and got to invest a lot of time. As we said, well, we're but recording for, from your home today we are, to I, make things exa- work. Exactly, the Yarraville studio, <laughs> the Yarraville, the Yarraville kitchen table. Um, <laughs> But for me, it's more about content, though. Like, what really disappoints me, David, and I'm finding this globally as I speak to more and more accountants around the world, that overwhelmingly the percentages of businesses that are micro are, are, are really big. If 95 or 90%, 90 to 95% of businesses are micro turning over less than 2 mil, and 90% or 80, you know, certainly north of 80% of all of the work that accountants do is compliance, why is there zero zero content in all of these conferences about actually doing compliance properly, more profitably. How I, I do not know, David, how these conferences can exist by doing by not covering 90% of the work done by 90% of businesses. It just it baffles me. It baffles me. I cannot believe well, it. Well, colour baffled, Paul. That's it for this week's show. Now, listeners, we've got a deal for you. If you are on our email list or if you want to become a friend on the show, head to fromthetrenches.com.au, sign up for the newsletter, and you will get access to a 40% discount code to come hang out with Paul and I at QuickBooks Connect in Melbourne. 40%, it's a big deal, Paul. That's fair effort. It'll be a great conf- uh, conference too. Uh... Are you going to heckle me during my talk? Oh, if I attend... I'll be out the back talking to the talking to the exhibitors, mate. That's a, that's the reason I go. I, I I get to listen to your dulcet tones. I'll I'm, oh, I might sneak in. I just in, you know just in case there's no one in the theatre. I'll stick my head in just in case no one turns up. Paul Myers, no, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, dear listeners. Thank you very much. Check out the website, uh, Paul Meisner on LinkedIn for me. We love hearing from people. Get amongst it. We love hearing the good, the bad, uh, and the ugly about the industry. LinkedIn for me, or check us out at Freedom Mentoring. Cheers. Thanks again for listening to an episode of From the Trenches. David and I love to hear from listeners, so you can reach out if you've got feedback or story ideas, get in touch. I can be reached on Twitter at Paul Meissner underscore or on LinkedIn, Paul Meissner. I'm on Twitter at David Boyar, B-O-Y-A-R, on LinkedIn, David Boyar. From the trenches. trenches.